Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. My name is Lindsay and I'm here with Paige. And today we are diving into chapter seven of Tamara Rossier's book, Your Brain is Not Broken. And it is titled Motivation Murders. And we're going to do this episode for kids. So we're going to talk about things that get in the way of your ADHD child or neurodivergent child's motivation and things that you can do to help support them and help them learn how you can help them with their motivation. But also, um, this is going to be more focused on teens and how you can help them learn how to motivate their themselves if you have an ADHD team. Yeah. And I would say even probably eight plus, like we'll cover some stuff for younger kiddos, but I would say like preteen-ish, teen status. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is really helpful because, and we have a lot of tips for like specifically homework and like school stuff. Yeah. And it's really helpful because that's an area in which I think that age, your your education gets to a point where maybe you're studying more, you're doing larger projects and things aren't just like um, homework, a worksheet at night, things like that. Yeah. And those are skills that um, are difficult for ADHD teens to learn. Yeah. And I think once they hit that age, there's less within our control as parents, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so it's really being able to teach our kids these habits. And sometimes I think be- the, the school system doesn't teach them in a way that um, neurodivergent kids can that are adaptable for neurodivergent kids. And so this is where we start to see like a lot of missing assignments or like not finishing projects. It can be a real frustration for parents, but, and I think maybe we expect too much of our kids without having the skill foundation. So we'll talk about how to build that skill foundation with them. Yes. And for those who have been listening faithfully, thank you, loyal listeners. This is chapter seven, not chapter six, which I was very stern on last episode. That was chapter six, but it's not. It's chapter seven if you're following along on the podcast and the book. Yes. Okay, let's dive into time blindness. How do you see this in kids? Um, Not being able to accurately predict how long an assignment will take or what what I commonly see in my clients that are in this age range and then are neurodivergent is they'll end up behind with missing assignments and they'll kind of wait till the end of the term. They'll use that like anxiety um, motivation and then they'll think like I can do... 20 assignments in a weekend and Mm -hmm. then they can't right because now we're using anxiety which we talked about in chapter six Six. (laughs) um and how actually your performance suffers your quality and performance suffers even though we believe that we can get it done super quick and something that she talks about in the book for adults but i think it's very applicable for kids if we start teaching them around this age is if there's something you have to get done but you're not looking forward to doing it give yourself Tell, ask yourself how long it'll take and then multiply that by three. Yeah. Yeah. Like giving yourself the time buffer. Um, and I also think we fall into the trap uh, as parents of using anxiety and fear to motivate our kids to get their like missing assignments done. So it, like when we talk about grades, like you can't have missing assignments 
or it, I don't know why missing assignments is such a common one. It is. And I think, I'll, let me just tangent on this because the school system is different than when we were growing up. If you yeah. grew up in public school where you would turn in an assignment and then you would get it like a report card where everything has a portal now, teachers get behind on entering assignments and grades and assignments. I said assignments twice because I see this a lot. Like teachers get behind on entering assignments, which means the grade you're seeing on the portal isn't the real time. Uh-huh. And so this is a big big stressor with a lot of people I work with. Right. Or like it's getting to the end of the term and you can't fit, you you don't want your child to fail a class or you want them to like get their grades up in time. And so, and if, and so we use the motivation of you'll be grounded or you'll have this consequence if you have this grade at the end of the term or end of the quarter or whatever system they use. And then it, and then it accidentally reinforces using anxiety and fear as motivation, right? To get the thing done. Mm-hmm. And we're creating this pattern. So it's like, and then parents will wonder like, I hate that they do this every semester. They wait till the end and then they get everything like turned in and they end up pulling it off. But then it's stressful for everybody. And it's just like continuing to perpetuate that negative cycle. Yeah. So, And I think the important piece with this, with the time blindness and having them schedule the time is maybe we don't naturally have the skills to understand how long something's going to take. So you need to sit down with your kids and break it down with them. You can't expect them to do this on their own, even if they're 15, if they don't have the foundation for it. It's the same with like emotional regulation. You start with where they're at and that, that may be where they're at because it's not something that is taught to them in school or modeled to them. Yeah. And the thing that I like to encourage people to do is if your kiddo has an assignment coming up, and eventually we're going to have to let go of the reins. Like our teens need to have some autonomy and accountability in their yeah. schooling. Okay. Yeah. Like we have to let go as parents at some point and learn to let go of the reins, mm-hmm. even though it can be in- intimidating to hand over that control because we don't know if it's going to get in or not. But what I like to do is if you have assignments coming up and it has a deadline, let's, let's write down all the things you need to do to get it turned in. Like what are all the things involved in the assignment? And then assigning, like, how much time do you think each of those is going to take you? And then using that to break it down of that, like, multiplied by three time buffer. Yeah, yeah. And teaching them how to break that down. Like, okay, these are all the things I need to get done. This is, I think this is going to take me 20 minutes. This is going to take me 30 minutes. This will take me 60 minutes. And then I have to put it all together and review it for another 20 minutes. So it's like, okay, what day can you spend 20 minutes on this? What day can you spend 30 minutes on that? And just move through the list. And that's also really helpful for the motivation piece because we know that it's hard to motivate an ADHD brain for something that's not interesting. But it's a lot easier to motivate an ADHD brain for 20 minutes than it is for three hours. Yeah. So, like, how can I take 20 minutes and do this one portion? Like, it's easier to, like, bookend reward that with music or with a treat or with a bath or whatever. um, Or hanging out with friends if we're talking about teens. It's really a lot easier to motivate that than it is to, like, do the whole project. And it doesn't feel as overwhelming. I think the overwhelm factor causes a lot of shutdown, even in adults. So it's like, oh, this huge project needs to get done. I feel like it's going to take so much time because I'm not looking forward to doing it, Mm -hmm. right? And then um, we, we... shut down we just completely shut down and lose motivation to get it done because it feels overwhelming right and procrastinate and the thing (laughs) i see too like with like turning assignments in is like there's not a system in place to motivate or remind um a child to turn assignments in and then they get or they're not finishing their work or whatever it is and they get so far behind that they're so overwhelmed and then there's the time blindness and the lack of 
like executive skills to plan, like how to get caught up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if your child's behind, like sit down with them and break down like, okay, we're going to do two assignments a day in math or whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. um, so that they see a path to getting caught up. Because if they just look at the number of missing assignments, it's so overwhelming that they just completely shut down and then they're not motivated to do the thing. And also let them create buy-in. So give them voice and how we're, does it feel realistic to you to do two assignments in math a day? If no, what feels realistic? And I've even had to have conversations with parents about expectations. Like, if if your kid's a sixth grader, like, I know you don't want to have them, like, get and they're really behind because of ADHD or mental health or being sick or whatever, and they're having a hard time getting caught up. Like, is it really worth it to expect that they get all their missing assignments in by the end of the term? Or do we just start fresh and say no missing assignments from here? Yeah. And most parents will say, like, yeah, it's not my ideal, but like I recognize that it's unrealistic. And so maybe it's better to just say no missing assignments from here on out. So you're not trying to stay caught up on current work Mm -hmm. and get caught up on missing work at the same time. And you're just like, okay, this is just the term and we know better and we're going to do better next term and we're going to put more things in place. Like I, I would encourage you to do that because it really just ain't worth it. Yeah, it really isn't. And the impact of the relationship, which we're going to talk about in a, in a, a chapter later yeah. on. Yeah. So let's move into delayed gratification. This is the the one we talk about where interest leads to motivation. And so this is like rewards or positive reinforcement. Yeah. And I think that we tend to like to offer big rewards to our kids or when we do a reward system for kids of all ages that are neurospicy, we mean we make them take too long to earn the reward or do too much we need to break up the reward Mm -hmm. or have it be a smaller reward more frequently because that's just how the ADHD brain works yeah and if you think about this for yourself if you've done some awareness work and like trial and error on what works for you bigger rewards don't work for me all the time sometimes they do like I have a trip I'm really looking forward to which is a big reward right but most of the time it's like a cup of coffee or it's like the show I get to watch. Or, or Diet Coke. We were just talking about how like Diet Coke is not for me about like the caffeine. It's about like it's a reward because it's a positive association for me. I wish it wasn't because it's not very healthy. But um, <laughs> we all have our thing that we're slowly going to poison ourselves with. That's my like yeah. <laughs> but like if I don't want to do like a cleaning activity or um, if I'm having a hard time focusing, I will open a fresh Diet Coke. And that's like I can drink this fresh cold can of Diet Coke while I am doing the thing. Yeah. And so when we talk about um, rewards, if you're like, okay, we're going to do this and it's going to be the reward every Friday and you find that it's not worth, like your kid is not motivated to get that thing done to earn the reward on Friday, make it a smaller time window. Yeah. And again, with preteens and teens, have they have the cognitive wherewithal to pick their own rewards. And I encourage bookends. So like, something to start the motivation or an enjoyable activity before that we're interested in doing we're, we're making a sandwich doing the activity you're not interested in or don't like and then ending it with something that you do like and is in, like is a point of interest and reward yeah so there's like that bridge and like because because there's a thing in ADHD called dopamine loading which that happens in the pleasurable activity you know you're going to do the thing after but your dopamine is loading like building up to do the thing and then you do the thing and then you have like the the reward after. And if your child is someone that uses anxiety or emotionality to motivate, the thing before I think needs to be some kind of nervous system regulating activity, like whether it's a sensory activity, depending on how their nervous system is. Um, 
whether they need to upregulate, which means like movement, getting amped up energy to do the thing or downregulate, meaning like burning off energy. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be something long and complicated when we say nervous system regulating activity. It sounds very clinical, but something that makes you happy is a nervous system regulating activity. Literally like this can be like, okay, so right now we're both recording this podcast and we both have like soft blankets with us. And like, that's our way of like keeping our like sensory systems and like nervous system regulation going throughout this. It could be a bath. It could be like a couple jumping jacks or a couple deep breaths or I'm trying to think like what's fun for kids that regulate. I'm thinking of a bookend for teens, right? A lot of the times we want them to come home, preteens and teens, we want them to come home, do their homework, do their chores, and then they're free to go do whatever they want, right? Whether that's extracurriculars later, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking if we're going to bookend and we're struggling, like they're getting home, they're procrastinating, they don't have the motivation to do it, they're avoiding, right? How can we encourage that dopamine loading so what's, what's something they enjoy doing? Can they spend the first 30 minutes? Can they stay after school for a while and hang out with their friends until all their friends disperse? Then come home, do the activity, and then have permission again to do something later. Like, oh, now we're going to go do the sports you like, or now you can get on the computer, like that type of stuff. Yeah, I love that as a motivation. And I think so often we expect our our teens really want to hang out after school because it's like when they're all together, when they mm-hmm. plan and they're like, we want to go do this. And uh, But then a lot of time as parents, there's that like, well, I don't want you hanging out every single day after school, or I don't want you staying out clear till eight o'clock because then we come home and it's like, you have to eat dinner, you have to do your homework or your chore, and it just like sets everything back. But if we break it up in that way, if that's possible, it still gives them that feeling of like, okay, I get to do the fun thing and I get to, that's their way of like um, blowing off steam after school. So mm-hmm. like your eight-year-old is going to come home from school, have a snack and watch a show, right? Yeah. Your teenager, that they're, they're highly social creatures. They're going to socialize, <laughs> right? And yeah. then they're going to come home. They're going to eat, do their chore, do their homework. And then like allowing them to go back out if that task is completed is like a really great yeah. reward. Or for freedom of choice, right? Because we yeah. want their buying because not all teens want to go out again later at night, but they do socialize in some way. They want the screen it. time, the Snapchat, yeah. the on discord playing games with our friends yeah. or you know we're on snapchat now yeah. or so like that type of thing and creating a book and so that way we're dopamine loading doing the unpleasurable activity and then we're rewarding and finding the thing that like your teen is interested in whether you understand why they're interested in it or not like okay anime is always the example i use because i feel like it will always be the thing that i do not like, it's not a motivator for me. It's not something I understand. It's not something I particularly enjoy. But I hear kids talk about it a lot, a lot in therapy, especially in this, like, preteen teenage. Mm-hmm. And um, and their friends are typically very into the anime. So it's, like, maybe it's that, like, we um, we, we can use connection in this way, too. Like, I'll watch an anime with you mm-hmm. after you do, you know, your homework today or, like, something like that. Like, and it creates that connection piece with them and it helps you, like learn what they're interested in so you can use that to help motivate them but also teach them how to mo- use it to motivate themselves yeah so like explain explaining the process not like it's you're an authority and that's their reward but like hey what are some things we can do to 
to build motivation? And then how can you do this on your own as you grow up? Yes. And so this kind of moves us into play as a motivation Mm -hmm. factor and how we can incorporate play because play for a kiddo versus play for a preteen and teen looks a lot different, which is more of like for children, right? You're going to engage and play with them. They want to do something with them. My kids really want to go on bike rides. They want me to jump on the trampoline. Like I love that they want me to swim with them, but as they get older, it's going to look different. And so as teens, it's it's a level of connection, right? Because yeah. that's what they really want. They're social creatures. <laughs> yeah. And they want, and like, they, you want to work on maintaining that connection with them. Mm-hmm. But part of that is like, as parents, we have to be adaptable in, like, it's not going to look the same as when they were little and they're not, and we have to meet them. Yeah. With their interests and where they're at. Yeah, we have to learn who they are as humans and be willing. And this can be hard as an adult with ADHD if their version of play and their interests do not align with mine. Yeah. Right? So that's a barrier you could have in a parent-child relationship where you're both neurospicy. And if you're someone who struggles with feeling like they connect with their teen or like, I think music is a great place to start because most teens love music. And this can be as simple as allowing them to pick the music in the car. Or Mm -hmm. listening to their songs with them or playing their songs while they do their thing, even if you don't like their music. Even if it drives you up a wall, like finding a way to like engage in that because it is something that connects us and that teens are usually very connected to and can Mm -hmm. be a big motivator for them. Yeah, one of my favorite ways is my kids pick the songs we listen to during dinner. Like each one gets a different. Yeah gets to pick while we're eating dinner. And that's been lately, they're super into music and that's been one way we're connecting and I'm knowing what kind of music they're into or what they're listening to. Yeah. And they enjoy, like, it's a way to be attuned with your teenager. Like, do you want to listen to some, whatever they're into while we do this hard thing or while we're cleaning or while, you know, um, which is another way to incorporate play right into a motivation factor. It's like, yeah, it sucks that we have to do yard work. Always be validating. Totally sucks that we have to do yard work. I don't want to be out here either. How about we listen to Modest Mouse, <laughs> age myself. Modest Mouse, while we do it, right? Like our teenagers, teenagers are, are not, not listening, listening to Modest Mouse. Mouse. But it's like whatever your child is interested in. Like, why don't you go plug in in our house? It's Alexa. Go plug in Alexa, and you can pick the music while we do this. Like, let's, yeah, right. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then the last two, but they kind of go hand in hand, is energy draining as a motivation murderer, and teenagers are historically tired and emotional intensity. Okay, so with energy, I think it's important to, um, just like with ourselves, and I talked a lot about how I'm undoing my conditioning, so I'm really passionate about not creating the same conditioning in my kids, um, but learn helping them learn how their energy works and helping them honor where their energy is at mm-hmm. um, and how much energy something's going to take and allowing that rest and nervous system regulation before and after. And I don't mean nervous system regulation in like a big to-do way. I just mean something that's pleasurable, enjoyable, and you feel like fills your cup. So for me, like taking a bath fills my cup, mm-hmm. like, and is like relaxing and regulates my nervous system. And it's something that's easy. And for a teen, it might be like hanging out with friends because there's a connection piece of regulation. Right. You're filling your battery, yeah. whatever that looks like. You're filling your cup. Yeah. Um, something that I like to just touch on with the energy draining is that in adolescence, our sleep cycles naturally alter. So like, from children to adolescents and then into adults, they change. And there's a ton of information and science out there about circadian rhythm. And so in adolescence, the circadian rhythm shifts so where they're up later and sleep in. And I know this can be very 
triggering and off-putting for a lot of parents. It is. And well, and I get triggered not about sleeping in, but about the school system not being adjusted to meet the needs of like, there is scientific evidence that our teenagers need this kind of rest and their circadian rhythm. And I'm even getting hated talking about it like shifts. And we're still fucking sorry language, but I'm not that sorry. Waking up at like 8 a.m. because they start school earlier than the elementary kids. Yes. Where I'm at. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, and I have so many ADHD clients who have that emotionality piece, but that also really struggle with mourning because um, something that can show up with ADHD is your, um, you have enhanced like sleep inertia, which yeah. is like you have trouble waking up. Like you feel like you're foggy. You It takes like people with ADHD an hour and a half to fully wake up. So if we're making them wake up earlier, we're sending them to school at 8 a.m., they're not awake till probably like 10.30 based on like how Uh their brain functions. And then, I mean, from 8 to 10.30, we're trying to force them to do something that is really freaking hard for them that drains all their energy. No wonder they're tired and they're, you know what I mean? But then their circadian rhythm is delayed, so then they stay up late, so then they're not getting the amount of rest that they need. And this is a, a brain, like... This is not something your child has conscious control over. Yes, exactly. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this piece because as adults that are neurospicy, exhaustion is a huge piece because of the intense emotionality, because of the sensitivity to the amount of activity and the stimulation, right? So we're already in a space where exhaustion exists even for adults. And so we're battling the extra level of like teenage adolescence life. And so I want to talk about how we can kind of weave things in to support them in that level of of energy draining right because it's not like i mean personally i let my kids take mental health days so if they're burnt out and exhausted i'm gonna let them stay home period i do too yeah i just do and well so school refusal is a big part of like autism and everyone knows i'm autistic but um so for me it's about monitoring like what's been going on has he been sick? How tired is he? How much rest has he been doing? So kind of being aware of that when he's, cause like every day he has to stay home. So obviously I cannot give into that every day, but I have to be really hyper aware of where he's at for him. And he's younger. So it's mm-hmm. different now than like a teen, but like when to push and when to pull back. Yes. But then I, I also think with our teens, we need to be aware of that. And then I think we need to be allowing them to sleep in to a certain extent on weekends and school breaks. Yeah. And this doesn't mean they get to sleep until 4 PM, but I think like, being realistic and not like waking your kids up at 7 a.m. and making them do stuff like yeah. you letting them like say maybe like 10 or 11 if that's okay and pushing the day back on the weekends to honor their more natural rhythms. I think where that gets tricky is then it's hard going into the week and sometimes we just don't have the control over that. The other thing that a lot of teens do that parents get upset about is then they nap because they stay up later. Yeah. And then they nap after school and then they get upset because they're like, oh, it's making them stay up later. And I think they're going to stay up later regardless of the nap or not. Yeah. And so really allowing them to say like for these um, like these teen years while your brain is shifting and changing, like I think it's okay to stay up a little later, come home, maybe take a nap and helping them learn to like self-monitor that. So where they're not napping for four hours maybe, Mm -hmm. but like an hour and still allowing them to rest. And I'm really passionate about this because I feel like I have created an unhealthy relationship with rest due to some of these beliefs about myself that, um, and where I would do the thing where I would stay up late, I would have a hard time waking up early. And then, um, I would come home and sleep for a long time and then stay up late. And then 
Um, and I created a lot of like mental stories about myself that I was lazy, that I didn't have energy. And that's just not true. And I've had to unpack that. And I really, I hate it when kids have to do that. So I don't want my kids or anyone's kids to have to unpack that. So if we can teach them how to honor it and how to make it work with like the system that we're in, I think that that's really important. Yes. So that was going to be my two tips to one. A lot of the advice I give as a therapist clinically is knowing when to pull back. So when our kids are like, let's say like seven plus, and they're starting a lot of these extracurriculars and they're also in school and then they're having homework, like being aware as a parent when you have that, because I think once they hit 13, 14, 15, they're in, they're in different types of sports or extracurriculars that they are more choosing. But before that, knowing when to pull back, a lot of the times when I'm working with clients or children with ADHD, a lot of my advice is to pull back because we're pushing through that dysregulation, which for some kiddos, when they're tired, that they that are neurospicy when they're tired or that they're pushing through that dysregulation, it shows up as hyperactivity. So you're like, oh my God, they have so much energy still. How do they do this? In reality, we like missed a window and pushed them too far. Yeah. And with my girls, I see that more. And with Sam, what I see is the emotionality. So that's how I know I've pushed too far. It's like, you're extremely emotional, which means you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then with my girls, it's like, you are hyperactive and it's nine o'clock at night, which means like... I'd let you stay out. Like we missed it somewhere. Yes. And my other one, and then maybe we can wrap up after this, was creating that family culture where we are modeling rest as a supportive skill instead of maybe what you and I grew up in, as in like you're lazy. Yeah. Yeah. You're lazy, you're unproductive. And trying to create a family culture around allowing our children to build the awareness of when you're tired, it's okay to rest, even as a teen. Yeah. And having these open conversations about like, I know it's hard to get up in the morning, but this is what time school starts. Instead of saying you need to get up and like coming at it from a critical standpoint, like I have a hard time waking up in the morning too. Like, what can we do to support you more? Maybe that's allowing you to sleep in on weekends till a certain time and creating that buy-in with your kids. Cause if they feel like you're on their team and trying to make make it work right because kids understand that they have to go to school especially as teenagers yeah they know (laughs) they get it right and so if you can be on their team with like yeah this really stinks and also i can't change what time school starts so how can we adjust this to to fit better for your system the other thing i see people do in high school a lot and i know that this this is not for everybody and this is more for probably extreme cases is i know that they can take maybe one or two online classes and start school at 10. so if your child has an especially hard time or you feel like you're maybe starting late with doing these things mm-hmm. um like talk to your school system and especially if your kids on an iep for their adhd yeah. you can you can go in and advocate for them and say okay i want to have like a, a second period start time or a 10 a.m start time and then they take maybe one or two of the easier classes online. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to, you know, obviously manage that. There's a call. Yeah. 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 But that's an option if it's something that's doable yeah. for your family. But ultimately, setting that foundation and the belief that rest is okay and not having to push through it all the time and being able to model that and accept that and get their feedback on that, even sometimes too, I'm like, I had to get up early, but I can take a nap later. Like welcoming some of those stuff. And really once your kid hits like 11 or 12, 
It's like you've pretty much taught them everything that you could possibly teach them. And now it's like they need to be an active collaborative part of everything we're doing from this point on. Yeah. Like we're not like hands off, but you're no longer in the driver's seat. Like you are in the passenger seat and now we're working together to find direction on where to go. And that's really the hack to making the teen years. Like there's going to be conflict and that's part of the having a teenager. But that I think is really the hack to making the teen years work as a parent is like your child feeling like you're on their side and you're a collaborator and helping them navigate obstacles that come up and teaching them how to navigate obstacles that are going to come up in life, whether they're ADHD or not. And um, instead of feeling like you're an authoritative figure to them. Yeah. Yep. Like you just have to do what I say because I told you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Number one reason I rebel, even as an adult. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and there's that PDA piece that I think we talk about more in terms of autism, but I think it shows up in ADHD kids as well, where like there's, it's called pathological demand avoidance. You can Google it, but it's where if someone tells me to do something, I'm going to do the exact opposite. That's Zane to a T and he has ADHD. It's like, if I ask him to do something, well, that's Tim. he has lost all motivation. Now he will do the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or if, if I like get pushy about something, then like, it's almost like I'm not doing it at all. Like type of thing. So So definitely Google that. Say it again. Um, Pathological demand avoidance. All right. And thank you guys for joining us. This is our part two of chapter seven on skills to support your kids in creating motivation. Tune in next week. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, Creating Community and Smashing Parental Stigma, Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.